City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Here we are, City Limits, and it's... um, it's a fourth Wednesday of the month, and in the studio we've got the usual suspects. We've got Meg Kimball, we've got Good morning. Eugenia Shubchenko, we've Hello. got Lee Kevin-Healy, and we're talking today mostly about environment. We're going to be talking first up to Dave Sweeney from the Australian Conservation Foundation about um, a recent decision by the South Australian, the now Liberal South Australian government, to uh, allow the... Um, the Olympic Dam, Olympic Dam uh, BHP site to expand dramatically and uh, get Dave's views on that, which also contains uranium. Dave Sweeney, of course, is the anti-uranium campaigner for Australian Conservation Foundation. Yeah. And we'll also talk to him about the latest um, da- um, accident in Brazil with the uh, Tailings Dam because uh, we've talked to him many times about the fact we're always left with these disasters from mining companies. So there you are. And we're also going to be talking to the... Um, well, last week we mentioned in, there was a cutting up, running in the passage to get out of breath. But anyway, <laughs> um, well, I could get my breath back. Um, we're also, last week we talked about an article in the Herald Sun where the, which attacked the Australian Youth Climate Coalition because they were, they were apparently training school children to strike over climate things. Well, you know, what it's, if, a what lot, is, it's a lot like Dumbledore's Army, if anyone's right, yes, seen <laughs> Harry Potter. It's a little indie film that was out recently. So, what, yeah. what has climate change got to do with kids in school, for God's sake? Anyway, <laughs> um, we'll find out. Yeah. So we'll, we're going to talk to uh, Ruby Marshall from the Australian Climate uh, Youth Climate Coalition today about that. And I think we'll talk about broader issues around coal, etc., given the government made its latest announcement on climate change policy this week, which is to change the name of the old one and go on as usual, business <coughs> as usual. Classic or, move. That's right, which yeah. is pretty good. Rebrand. That's right. Well, the same. I mean, Broad Spectrum did it. Um, in this week, it's been in the news, the, um, the company that uh, now runs Paladin, that now runs the um, the the centre, uh, Manus Island, mm. uh, the security up there, and the fact that it's you know, got no money, <laughs> but it's getting millions of public money, etc. But the, they were blamed, the, the um, financial review actually got round to blaming refugee advocates because it frightened Transurban, who were running it, to leave. You know, they were forced <laughs> to leave because of the, the social pressure on them. Mm. And at that time, they changed their name to Broad Spectrum, the same thing, where they're hoping people will forget that Transurban's the mob who treated refugees so dreadfully. Mm. But anyway, Another wonderful uh, move. Yeah, mm. that's right. That's Classic. Right. That's right. Mm. Straight out of the playbook. Dodging responsibility yet again. Oh, oh no, just changing their name. <laughs> um, oh, we, we had that poem we're going to read. Look, I'll give it to one of you and you can read it next week. Do a bit of rehearsal on it or something because I think it's a... Uh, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago a poem about domestic violence and we said just that one of you should read it out because it's so very good. It's by Maxine Bernieba Clark. It is, right? it is indeed. Yeah. It's a yeah. fantastic writer. So mm. we'll, we can uh, um, we can read it in the lead up to International Women's Day. That's right. So that's something. Well, that's, that's so yes. Mm-hmm. So people can do that next week, whatever. Mm. But well, we've got a bit of a way to go. Oh, no, we haven't got the far to go. Um, 
Just on the, the usual suspect articles before we go on, and, and by the way, Howard Morosi might ring in. I, I, it may have been him ringing when I left home, but I can't rush back from the door with my bike because my timing on Wednesday morning is so <laughs> down to the last second. Yeah. Um, but he was going to talk, he did want to talk to us about, while well, I pause some tea, about uh, they're starting to demolish the Walker Street. Um, Walker Street um, public housing units, and um, and they're trying to get people to go along and uh, and and pick it and or occupy or whatever. Uh, do we want three T's? Mm-hmm. Please, yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Where is um? Where's the Walker Street public housing? Which suburb? It's in it's in uh, Northcote, is it not? I think it is. <laughs> oh right. Oh okay. I, I think. Do you, do, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm not very good with street names, but there no. is one in Northcote, just um, yeah, south sure. of Westgar. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, anyway, another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, he'll if he rings in, he'll give us more information on that and give, have a brief um, chat about what's what's wanted. Mm. But one of the we usually kick off with a headline in the Herald Sun, but this week maybe it's because Channel Nine's taken over the Fin Review front page um, mm. on Monday. Uh, seem to be trying to outdo the Herald Sun oh, no. with the, you know, those emotive words that are supposed to be part of an objective report. And it says, Labor plans to slug banks $640 million to pay for fairness fund. And you know, Labor wants to re- increase the, the money that will go into the fund that the banks will pay to, to compensate people affected by them. And the Herald actually... The story actually starts, the big banks will be slugged and extra, etc. And I would have thought in all the information that's come out about banks in the past 12 yeah. months or so, to use the words <laughs> banks being slugged, slugged. themselves is, uh, is a bit much really, isn't it? That when you is think about it. really crazy. I mean, the bank robbery these days, it always has been, of course, but bank robbery really means they rob of us. They rob us. Yeah. That's bad grammar. Um, the other one... This is where the Herald Sun, well, no, it's not the Herald Sun, it's Scott Morrison, in fact, being quoted here. But um, it's now almost certain that Ita Buttrose, the former um, the former employee of Kerry Packer, who edited his magazines, etc., will become the new chair of the ABC, um, Ita, mm. who's very much part of the social set in Australia, mm. of course, and very much uh, part of the inset. Mm. And... Um, Said um, and Scott Morrison said she was an extraordinary Australian. This is uh, when asked would she pot. He, he didn't say she's definitely going to be, but it, you get a bit of a clue she might. Um, an extraordinary Australian. There have been few people more than Ita that I think have lifted the standards of journalism in this country. Now, uh, now, I, 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 do you disagree, Kevin? I, well, I, I slightly. I, I must say, I don't want to sound misogynist here, but I would have thought the Australian Women's Weekly mightn't be in the height of objective reporting in this country uh, or great journalism. Uh, did anyone think the Australian Women's Weekly is one of the great pieces of journalism in this country? Oh, I've learned a lot from the Australian Women's Weekly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really can't comment. I've never read a copy. <laughs> no. no, well, I you, don't, you don't have, have to. Just look at the, just look at the cover and you, you don't, don't need to open it. But anyway, but anyway that, that's, that seems to me to be her, the height of her journalistic career and I'm just wondering whether uh, unless that, there's you know a whole lot of reporting that we just don't know about uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no not that I'm aware of yeah. I'm going to have a sip of tea hang on a tea <laughs> right and there's another blue guy taking place the um, Bayou family well, not speaking of the great families of this country and there's books that explain how they actually came to be so wealthy but we won't go into that here the Baudieu family sold its um, stockbroking arm uh, some years ago, 
um, and it was called Bayview whatever. I can't think what it's done. It was Bayview whatever. Um, oh, its trading name was ELNC Bayview Limited. That's right. And the company that bought it kept the name, but they've recently decided to change the name to um, Bayview something else. And um, and the, the Bayview family's up in arms about it and saying it's terrible that their name is being abused and their good name, etc., etc. And they're taking legal action to try and stop them using the Bayview name. But it's just interesting that they're so proud of their wonderful name, this great family of uh, of uh, people who've uh, spent their lives uh, making money out of... Um, we won't go on, will we? Hmm. <laughs> no. OK. And the Herald Sun, of course, has done it again in terms of promoting that which it considers to be good, worth promoting because it takes people's minds of anything worth thinking about, although it po- makes them think about it, I suppose. In this case, it's making them think how wonderful war is. A wonderful story, again, promoting the Avalon Air Show with shots of wonderful jets that kill people. Isn't it wonderful? Can you see that? All those lovely shots. And um, it takes off on Friday. That's a wonderful opening line. Isn't that clever? It takes off. It's a dare show. Isn't that smart? Um, Love a good opening pun. Yes, yes, very good. Um, And... It, it just great promotion for it. Aviation history buffs can take a step back in time and get up close to the show's collection of World War II aircraft. And a nighttime pyrotechnic and laser show will light up the sky. And visitors can watch army planes and helicopters fight it out in a simulation of a fiery bombing blast. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, so mm. nice. Oh, absolutely great. I've always really wished I could see a fiery bombing blast yes, up close. That's right, yes. I only hope they make a mistake and use live ammunition. But anyway, I'm. And a vast collection of military and aerospace machines brings together, etc. and all these enthusiasts, and it tells you how you can get there, train, car, ferry, or even fly in. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's great, isn't it? But there you are. So At least they're providing some public transport options in addition to the private jets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so... Oh, we're getting a message. Look, we'll take a quick break because we get a message at the door and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hang on a tick. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred site. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun, in which way the wind blows. Celebrate International Women's Day with 3CR. On Friday the 8th of March, we'll bring you 24 hours of non-stop radio by, for and about women. Join 3CR's fabulous women and genderqueer broadcasters as we talk with talented Melbourne musicians, songwriters, storytellers and activists making a difference. Featuring a special live broadcast from the 2019 International Women's Day Rally at the State Library between 5.30 and 6.30pm. For the full day's program, visit our website at 3cr.org.au. 
International Women's Day 24-hour broadcast, Friday the 8th of March 2019. Tune in at 855am, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Okay, on the line, Dave Sweeney from the Australian Conservation Foundation, anti-uranium campaigner, of course, and a fairly regular, regular, or irregular, regular, or something on this program. Um, Dave, I thought I'd get you on because just recently the South Australian government seems to have approved proposals to go ahead with a huge expansion of the Olympic Dam mine, which also has uranium, of course, in South Australia. Um, comment on that? Yeah. Um you're right. Uh, the Olympic Dam mine, or the or the Roxby Dam mine, is is a massive um, mixed ore body in northern South Australia, about 400 k's from Adelaide. It's owned by BHP, the biggest mining company in the world. Copper, gold, silver, uranium. Um, it's currently got a uh, license to produce around um, 200 tonnes of copper per annum, Kevin, and they're. BHP have put in an application to lift that to 350,000 tonnes of copper. That also would obviously bring with it, um, you know, increased levels of those other minerals, including uranium. Mm -hmm. And a particular concern here is the impact of um, this mine on water. It's it's driven and fuelled and, uh, you know, all the water for this project, which is a very thirsty project, comes from the fossil water of the Great Artesian Basin. And uh, it's a massive user and consumer of water. And the application to increase mining at Olympic Dam brings with it an application to increase water usage out of the GAB, the Great Artesian Basin, to 50 million litres of water each and every day. Yeah, 50 million um, litres every of day. Every wow. day, 50 million litres. It must um, cost them pay. a fortune in water bill there. Yeah. yeah. Very, uh, very insightful, Kevin. Um, <laughs> that bill just sort of, sort of uh, gets stuck in the dead letter office. They do not pay for their water. Um, they access a vast amount. It's one of, if not the largest, industrial user of underground water in the world. And this is in South Australia, which is the driest state of Australia, which is the driest continent. So it's from an ecological perspective, it's a profound impact because... Like, as people know, like the Great Artesian Basin goes under about you know a quarter, maybe a third of Australia. It supplies water for so many other industries and towns and communities and places. Um, and it's old water. It's, it's fossil water. It has landed as rain. It's percolated and permeated through different systems and it's then moved down predominantly from western Queensland down into northern South Australia. And um, to suck it out, to extract and consume at that sort of rate is phenomenal because the recharge is not like that. So there's a big resource there, but it's not recharging like that and it's ultimately unsustainable. So there's a whole range of concerns here. You've got a, you've got a mining company that's digging up a mineral. Uh, one, one aspect of what it digs up is uranium, which is a highly problematic contaminating poisonous mineral that at best turns into a radioactive waste that lasts for tens or not hundreds of thousands of years as a problem, carcinogenic problem. And in order to do that, uh, they're sucking up and consuming at, a, at an unsustainable rate the, the resource that is the fundamental provider of life, which is water. So we've got deep concerns about it. BHP have, have formally now moved to seek um, approval for the expansion 
Um, they've been given interim approvals for a whole bunch of works and there will be uh, further sort of permitting required and further there will be at least one chance, a small chance for public input and comment and we'll be tracking this and, and trying to ensure that there's some level of accountability and some level of, um, of awareness of, of impact. Um, but, you know, the political reality of this one, Kevin, and you'd be aware of it too, Meg and, and listeners, is that you've got the world's biggest mining company in a state that, where there is bipartisan support uh, and also that bipartisan support is echoed at the federal government, Labor and the coalition fall over themselves to say yes to Olympic Dam. And South Australia, um, you know, Olympic Dam sneezes, South Australia catches a cold. It's that sort of thing. South Australia sees its future as building weapons of war and digging up contaminated ore. And it's a real great pity that the state doesn't see itself as um, having more options than that. But BHP run that place effectively like their own personal fiefdom. They're exempt from South Australian environmental protection regulations, Aboriginal heritage regulations. They're exempt from a whole range of industrial laws agreements. There's a, there's a, a secretive indenture agreement which gives enormous legal exemptions and exclusions and privileges to the company. They don't pay for their water and the scrutiny is scant. Mm, it's, um, it's, a, it's astonishing how short-sighted that that um, water management um, oversight or, you know, I don't know whether it's an oversight or deliberate, but, um, yeah, is this all across Australia, waterways not being properly protected, like the Murray-Darling Basin and things that are happening there in terms of uh, fish deaths because of overuse of the water um, in that area. Is part of the problem a state and federal... Uh, even though, you know, there's bipartisan support for these projects, I know from the history of Tasmania from growing up there that sometimes protections only happen when federal governments step in, but then there's all these issues about what kind of areas people have um, jurisdiction over, really. Yeah, there's... I don't want to give a sense that there's nothing we can do. There's there's things we can do and we'll do them or prosecute a case, but the, the sort of thing with this one is because BHP have such clout and because economic activities in South Australia are limited, mm. um, they, are the, they are on the same song sheet. The Coalition and uh, Labor at both the state and federal level, level are mm. strongly supportive of Olympic Dam. And, um, and the, the difficulty there is that they need to then segment their strong, in-principle support for the whole project to at least be able to look at aspects of the project and say, is this as good as it could be? Is this the the, the best standard? Is this the least impact? Um, Whereas they they have this approach that anyone who criticises Olympic Dam is, you know, attacking an absolute icon and a fundamental plank in South Australia's economic uh, stability and mm. therefore those people must be chased out, you know, with, you know, out of the room as quickly as possible. Mm. What we want to see is uh, a, a much more rigorous um, look at what is going on at that mine and what is going on and what are the impacts now and projecting into the future because there's, uh, you know, there's very much a sense that the company does what the company wants to do in in this project. This fact, though, that this expansion application has gone in, 
it's it, even though it has gone in and it is a massive expansion of the existing operation, it's not anywhere near as big as what BHP earlier um, configured, mm. budgeted for, you know, put money aside for and had state and federal approval for. They wanted to turn Olympic Dam, which is an underground mine, into the world's biggest open-cut, um, massive, massive... Um, uh, project, 20 to $25 billion, which the company had secured the money for, and they didn't go ahead with it, um, largely because the uranium price collapsed following the Fukushima crisis. So because of that, that, as that they was, put it, that was, of the That was late price. 2012 when that was abandoned. and uh, That's right. And yeah, yeah, the, because they say commodity prices uh, collapsed, but of course that could happen again, couldn't it? So, well, it could happen again. It could, it could happen again. But the other thing is, like, at the time, you will might well remember the shockwave that that sent through South Australian politics in particular, that this planned $20 billion spend, which would mean, you know, thousands of jobs, et cetera, et cetera, suddenly at the whim of the company um, wasn't going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. So now politicians are very happy to see any movement and expenditure at Olympic Dam. So this application is landing into very friendly territory what we want to see this application land in is to territory that, at a minimum, mm. has a fair income look, a genuine assessment of what some of the impacts, and particularly those impacts around the management of tailings and the impact of the consumption and the contamination of water. Is this the biggest, um, if this was approved, is this, would this be the, the most that the dam has operated in terms of what it's taking, or have there been times in, the, in history where it's been as big as that? No, Meg, this would be a new chapter right. and a much bigger footprint. Well, well. David, it's Eugenia here. I just wanted to ask if you have a kind of idea of how just normal people living in South Australia feel about this mine. Is it kind of an important economic generator for them that they're supporting or are they really concerned about the environmental impacts as well? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really good question and, and it, it's always hard to answer that. Like, I'm one person, you know, and... Um, so that's tempered by my the lens that I bring to a thing. I think, Virginia, that many people... There's a lot of people uh, live in Adelaide mm. and Olympic Dam is a long way away mm. and they see it as a long way away, dry, not really part of their world or their reality. Um, and if people can turn a dollar out of that, that's good. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people in South Australia that, that go... Um, you know, lucky we've got the subcontracts, lucky we've got the frigates, lucky we got Olympic Dam. Um, these are the big end tickets of town because they hear that all the time. Adelaide's a one-horse town when it comes to a paper. You know, it's, mm. it's got the Adelaide Advertiser, the Tizer, mm. and the Tizer is, um, you know, it's always um, ch- uh, championing Olympic Dam and the economic, uh, you know, um, benefits that the mine brings and all that sort of stuff. You go to Adelaide Airport, there's lots of uh, generally blokes in high-vis waiting to go on the flight to Olympic Dam. It, so for a lot of people, it's where, um, you know, the state generates some royalties and jobs and where people get jobs and people get skilled up and trained and get the ability to buy a house and a big boat, that sort of thing. So it does enjoy considerable support. they also, having said that, though, there are people on a range of fronts who are concerned. A lot of Aboriginal people are not necessarily all hostile by any stretch, but some are concerned deeply about um, particularly water impacts 
um, many people and some significant Arabana people whose water gets drawn, where the water gets drawn from, mm. are strongly concerned and opposed. Um, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people that are concerned about the legal exemptions, like some unions are concerned about the OCH health and safety stuff and what mm. that means for the workplace culture. There's other people like environmental lawyers and others that are concerned about the precedent of a massive mining company being um, exempt from compliance with EPA and Aboriginal heritage laws. So there's these, there are these voices of concern and there are, are pockets of deep um, opposition and there is also this sense of you know, there's this sense of tension and conflict because on one hand, South Australia is leading Australia in the embracing of renewables. Mm. South Australia is right out in front when it comes to renewable energy, adoption and some smart technology and transition from coal at Port Augusta to renewables. And there's that sort of green um, cities push in South Australia. Um, and that's not... For many people, that doesn't sit comfortably. That narrative, that story is not the same as having, you know, the world's biggest uranium mine up the road. Mm. Um, so it's not, um, it's not a blank check for the company, but they do exercise considerable and disproportionate power in decision-making in the state. Mm. Yeah, Dave, um, Laura Tyler, who runs the, um, the dam on behalf of um, BHP, um, says that the, um, it was, this was the first step in a comprehensive state and federal process that includes assessment of potential social, economic and environmental impacts. And the, the relevant minister, the Mines and Energy Minister, says there will be a thorough environmental assessment of the proposed development, including its request for an increased take from the Great Artesia Basin. Great Artesian Basin. Now, I, I'm going to take a stab, but I suggest that doesn't, uh, doesn't make you overwhelmed with confidence. No, look, it makes me... I, I think the fact that they say that is a credit to the persistence of people that have worked hard to keep it on the radar um, because uh, there's a lot of people in bureaucracies, state and federal, um, that would be pretty quick with the rubber stamp for this project. Having said that, there will be some people that will approach this with diligence, and and you know try and get the best outcome within the frame that they can, but you know if there was a horse running that said mine approval and it was running at the you know at two thirty you'd put, you'd get put on. some money on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, now you're speaking Kevin's language. What time was that race again? <laughs> <laughs> the doors swinging past behind Kevin as he's gone to the TV. Into another bit of insider trading, Kevin. There will be a stewards protest. We will. <laughs> We will be looking for a swab. And this tape will be played. (laughs) (laughs) Dave, you mentioned tailings. We'll move on slightly here. We've got to go to another interview shortly. But you mentioned tailings and the recent, again, the second in three years, the recent accident in Brazil, not you can call it an accident, um, in Brazil, the catastrophe, where at the moment I think the last count was 311 people dead. Um, Mm -hmm. Comment on this again because we have talked often about the dangers of these things. Yeah, well, this uh, this is a terrible thing. Um, yeah, Vale or Vale, the large, the biggest uh, iron ore producer, they had uh, one of their mine sites, uh, uh, Brumadino. Um, there was a, a massive failure on the 25th of January of a of a tailings dam, and you're right, over 300 deaths, 100 of whom were miners who had just sat down for a lunch break, mm. and then the shed was just just torn away. It was terrible. 
Um, it's it's really it is just terrible. There's the, the you know tailings are the are the mine flurry that's left after any mining operation, and they their management poses a really significant and a growing um, environmental and human problem internationally and in Brazil. Um, it's a real problem too because there's very much a, a quick rip culture in their mining, and it's often it's also um, very much a heavy rainfall, high volume water area, and um, the mine that was the, the tailings dam, as I understand it, that, that collapsed in in January was it's a 85 90 meter uh, uh, wall, and about 12 million liters of, of slurry behind that wall and it just went and it just when it goes it goes like that footage of the the tidal wave the surge at Fukushima there's this remorseless slow but quick sort of compelling movement of, of slurry there's a there's an international group Kevin called um ICOL the International Commission on Large Dams and they did all this modeling and all these reports about tailings dams and basically what it all came down to was this thing that water will when a dam goes, water will move around structures by and large, but tailings will move through them. They just have this steady push that just pushes stuff over. And um, so this just cleared a swathe of, of uh, you know, the mine site of people's places, of, of where these workers were eating and all this sort of stuff. One of the concerns is that, that this... The tailings dam was what they call an upstream dam, mm. and an upstream dam is where they they add um, incrementally or se- sequentially they add and build up the external wall. So, like as you produce more, and we need more holding capacity, let's chuck out another four, eight, twelve, fifteen meters onto the dam wall. Mm. And the trouble with that is, while it might fit operational needs and be efficient economically, what it's not efficient for is getting like a settled density of tailings and consolidation of the external wall because you're just building it up and it doesn't actually sort of get the get the ability to to congeal together and get strength mm-hmm. and so and also an there was a report there was also a report Dave that's a lot of it's built also over um, dried out tailings but of course once they get wet they go again they um, they become quite flexible and away they go yeah, so it is. It's all that stuff, you know. They, it's, the language is remobilised, and that is exactly what happens. So mm-hmm. it compounds as a problem. And Brazil's got these about got more than eighty of those upstream, like build it up bit by bit tailings dams. Um, one thing that's come from this, which is long overdue, it's a recommendation that environmental groups and indigenous activists and others have called for for a long time, is that these that building technique should not be. Mm. should not be developed, should not be allowed because it's just ad hoc. Mm. Um, and so that has happened. I understand that Brazil has now banned new upstream tailings dams, but there's still more than 80 existing ones. And so these sort of things, they're, they're like a, a very significant impost on the environment because, you, first of all, you've got to hold it there and then you have to work out what you do in the long run. Do you mm. just hold it there? What happens when the mine's finished? How do you rehabilitate? How do you consolidate it, et cetera, et cetera? Do these things go now during an operating period or do they leak and collapse later? So there's massive concerns. If this is, you're absolutely right. There was a, in November of 2005, the Samarco Dam, which was part BHP owned, the Samarco Dam collapsed. Now that killed 18 people. It caused extensive river contamination. 
it dislocated, it took the homes of 375 families who mm. still haven't been rehoused. Mm. Um, so three years later, so that was November 2015. In you January, said 05, it was 15, in fact, yeah. Yeah, so, sorry. Yeah. January 2015, uh, November 2015 for Samarco, January uh, 2019 for the Vale, Vale one. Um, not much has been learnt, not much has been done. So hopefully this banning of the new upstream tailings dance will be a start and that there will be some genuine attention to this because, like, that's hundreds of people's lives mm -hmm. and then the impact of that for, you know, families and beyond is just so significant. There's been some pick-up in Australia. Um, Rio Tinto's done a review of their the status of their tailing stamps in Australia. The West Australian Chamber of Mines has. There's, there's an awareness that this is a real problem and industry needs to really step up to this because they are making the profit and this is the direct consequence mm. of the profits that have been made by generally multinational mining companies. Mm. And it can't be, it can't be that mm. they're just allowed to get away with, with that level of risk and then that level of when it happens, really profound impact on people in the country. Okay, we're going to have to pick this up in the future, day because I've got to go into an next interview. But um, look, thanks for your time this morning. And um, you know, we haven't cheered people up too much, but let's hope, uh, let's hope at least it forces them to uh, improve their their activities. Absolutely, Kevin, and thanks for the opportunity as thanks. ever. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, right Dave. Dave Sweeney there, who's the, uh, the anti-uranium campaigner with the Australian Conservation Foundation, and in a moment we're going to be talking to Ruby Marshall, who is with the Australian um, Youth Climate Coalition, and we'll talk to her about how they're apparently making life terrible for school kids. <laughs> Brunswick Music Festival, back for two weeks this March, featuring international acts, Flohio, Jay Mascus and Snail Mail, plus an epic local contingent including Jazz Party, The Necks, A Swayze and the Ghosts, The Murlocs, Tando, Jade Imagine, Sophie Grophy, Genesis Owusu, Beck Sandridge, Hexdet and so much more. For the full program and tickets, head to brunswickmusicfestival.com.au. Brunswick Music Festival is a 3CR supporter. If you share the growing concern about racism, fascism and the move to the extreme right, Come along to our forum on a Bill of Rights for Australia on Sunday the 17th of March at the Unitarian Church, 110 Grey Street, East Melbourne, commencing at 11am. Speakers include Professor Gillian Triggs, Professor Rob Watts, Julian Burnside QC and the Human Rights Law Centre. RSVP to admin at melbourneunitarian.org.au Our democratic rights are under threat. If you care, be there. The Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church is a 3CR supporter. Okay, and on the line we've got Ruby Marshall from the Australian... Oh, no, that was the last interview. From the Australian <laughs> Youth Climate Coalition. And um, Ruby's come on to talk about a number of things. We'll get round to uh, Scott Morrison's um, statement this week about um, his grand new climate policy. But last week, Ruby, the Herald Sun, and we mentioned on this program last week, the Herald Sun came out with an article attacking you because it said you were um, 
or taxpayer-funded eco-warriors are coaching children to skip school again next month, giving them detailed instructions on how to play truant, make posters and organise marshals for a climate change protest marshal. Well, given your name, I assume it's a family affair, the marshal bit. But, um, <laughs> but oh, uh, no. uh, you probably saw the <laughs> Sorry, article. Ruby. Your comment on that, they, they, they're virtually saying that um, you should keep out of all this. Um, yeah, it was um, quite uh, a shock to us um, to hear that. Um, obviously, we're a youth organisation, so of course we're going to support young people, um, especially as they're, um, protest, uh, as they're protesting the government's inaction on climate change, and that's what we're all about. So it was, um, we thought that was quite unusual of them um, to say that. <laughs> well, not the I didn't think it was unusual of the Herald Sun to say it. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah, it did seem very odd. Um, but... Yeah, they're obviously just um, afraid of the power of young people, I think, and the, the fact that we can make change. Yeah. And um, they go on to say that you're even providing phone scripts and text message scripts for children, etc. Um, now, these you know, these kids striking and, and your group, um, you, and the, the other two people in the studio with me, not me though, unfortunately, um, <laughs> or perhaps maybe even mm. fortunately, uh, you're, gonna, you're the ones who are going to cop what my generation's doing and, um, and surely, therefore, you have every right to take whatever actions you see fit. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, these school students who obviously started the strike in Australia, um, they, you know, they did that off their own, like they did that on their own accord um, and they just um, came to us because they just needed help with logistics and we're helping them with some resources and, yeah, we're just helping to, um, you know, keep them safe by marshalling during the march. So we're just supporting them um, with what they ask us to do, but they're mostly doing um, everything um, that they can do on their own. Mm, that's fascinating. How did do you know how this kind of movement started amongst the students? Um, yeah, there were some students in Castlemaine who um, they saw. Um, there's this girl Greta in Sweden. She's been really big in the media, so she started striking from school every Friday um, to protest uh, the Swedish government's lack of um, action on climate change. And they were inspired by her, and now it's become a um, a worldwide movement uh, of school students striking um, across the world. Uh, and then there is the um, so now there's the International School Strike Day on March 15th. So there'll be um, thousands and thousands of students all over the world um, trying to get the government to act on climate change. Fantastic. Yeah, the um, the um, Tian, who's the um, federal education minister, said parents had a right to know who was influencing their children, what their motives were, and who was paying for it. The Australian public will be cynical about a so-called student-led strike that is actually organised and orchestrated by professional activists. Uh, comment on that? Um, well, the students, the students are doing this of their their own accord, but they're they're not they're not being the only thing they've been influenced by is the fact that you know they're facing a future that is uh, suffering the consequences of climate change, and that's terrifying. So these students have obviously recognize that and stepped up to do something there's no there's no we're not there's no organization telling them to do this they're doing this off their own back and we're just supporting them because we think it's um an amazing thing that they're doing because yeah we are facing like we are looking at a dire future like a fact that are going to suffer the consequences of climate change so they're taking the f their future into their own hands mm. i mean well i think um apart from dan t and maybe and the herald sun editorial writers um People who are concerned about these issues think it's magnificent that school kids are getting out doing this. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. It, it is incredible. Like uh, school students, they have, they have the they they have the power to make change. Like some of them might not be of the age to vote, but this is how they're um, feeling like they can contribute and make a difference, which is amazing. Mm. Were you? Um, was anyone from the youth? Um, group, the Australian Youth, Youth Climate Coalition, um, contacted about this article. Did you know that it was going to come out or um, are you anticipating a little bit of pushback from conservative media? Um, I'm actually not sure about that. Mm. Um, I, I, I may, someone might have been contacted, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. But it was, I think, came as quite a surprise as far as I'm aware. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's certainly no direct quote of anyone from um, either the kids themselves or uh, only Dan T and the minister gets quoted um, and tacking them. But yeah, yeah, another another example of um, young people not being asked what they <laughs> think about important issues. <laughs> yeah, another another <laughs> bit of Herald Sun objective even, journalism. Yeah, yeah, they haven't even asked the school students about this. The school students are, you know, they're. They're grateful. Well, the the implication of the article is that school children can't think for themselves and they're being dragged into this by these terrible agitators from outside. Yeah, and that's just just not the case. This movement was started by a 15-year-old in Sweden and the school students were just inspired by her. So, Ruby, what's your role... um there and what what sort of things have uh, in terms of things that are coming up for the March fifteenth event? What sort of things are happening? Uh, yeah, so um, I am a, a one of the state coordinators for Victoria. Mm. Um, so yeah, at the moment we are um, just trying to um, get youth enrolled to vote, especially mm. um, mm-hmm. those uh, that like obviously are aged to um, enroll to vote and to vote. Yeah, um, so that's really important. Um, and, yeah, we're just trying to um, keep pressure on the government, obviously, leading up to the election, mm. um, trying to get them to commit to um, 100% renewables by 2030, mm. which we think is that's, that's what we need in order to, um, you know, to fight climate change in Australia. We need 100% renewables by 2030. We need to, uh, we need to like, stop having item... We need to ban any new fossil fuel projects going ahead. Um uh, yeah, and we especially are fighting to um, get the uh, Adani mine stopped up in the up in Queensland, the Galilee mm-hmm. Basin. Mm. With that mine, we don't want that to go ahead because that will have the catastrophic um, impact on climate change. Would you be able to give our listeners a little bit of an update about where things are at with the Adani mine? Um, yeah, so they um, haven't been able to... Um, they, they still haven't started work. They're still waiting on a few um, approvals. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of on... Um, hold at the moment um the mine um so they're just uh yeah waiting on some more approvals so not really sure where that's at at the moment it's always obviously really hard to tell so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah at the moment that's it's um not going ahead so that's good but yeah still putting pressure on the government mm-hmm. um to make get them to commit to not letting it go ahead mm. And so, um, Ruby, does the Australian Youth Climate Coalition do a lot of work on renewable energy or or mining, or um, like yeah, all across yeah. So the... the Australian, yeah, so what we're all about at the AYCC, um, we, are, we focus on um, the transition from um, fossil fuels uh, to renewable energy, um, but in a way that it's a just transition, so um, helping communities who are really reliant on fossil fuel projects, helping them to... Um, have that uh, a really just transition to renewables so that people don't lose jobs in the process because that's not what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like so especially like um, communities like in Latrobe Valley, obviously that are very 
reliant on the coal industry for jobs. Um, yeah, there's actually a lot going on there at the moment to help um, them transition jobs into the renewable sector. Mm. Mm. That's an issue at the moment with the um, the CFMEU or CFWMEU these days, whatever it's called, um, because up in Queensland they're in fact demanding the Labor Party support the Adani mine and they claim that there are no no jobs or no future in green jobs and they have to keep uh, keep mining to maintain their jobs. So it's it's creating, as you're probably aware, a major clash within the Labor Party itself, both in Queensland and, and federally in terms of the election coming up. But uh, your thoughts on that? Because people do need a transition to, uh, you know, to come off those jobs. But I rather think it, that the mining companies themselves should be funding a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, well, of course. Um, well, um, I've actually uh, met someone in Latrobe Valley who did work in the um, fossil fuel industry for 40 years and is now working in the renewable industry um, because he said all of his skills are transferable. So, obviously, if, um, yeah, if there's new renewable projects going up ahead in Queensland, then that will, like, provide lots of jobs for people um, and help with that transition. Um, but, of course, also the, the Great Barrier Reef provides so many jobs but if this um, Adani mine goes ahead, the Great Barrier Reef will be destroyed along with all the jobs that it provides. Mm. And the jobs that the Great Barrier Reef provides is so much more than the mine. So it just it's not justifiable for this mine to go ahead. Mm. Mm. The Bricky show earlier this morning on this station interviewed um, a bloke from up there who was talking about the also the Adani port. It's not, um, not the mine, of course, but Adani runs the port. Um, and that um, it's right on a wetland, and yet they've twice now been charged with environmental environmental damage to the uh, wetland. Yeah, it's um, it's really actually terrible what they can um, get away with, and it is having an astronomical ecological impact up there. It's terrible. Mm. Yeah. And I'm guessing, Ruby, that a lot of this these kind of discussions about creating jobs and making sure those jobs are in renewable industries, they're going to affect young people disproportionately, right, as they enter the workforce? Um, yeah, of course. Um, I think, obviously, um, you know, the renewable industry is growing larger and larger every day, um, and it is they it is, it's providing so many jobs. Um, I'm hoping to get a job in the renewable industry when I um, finish university, um, as I'm sure a lot of other people are, because it which is a great opportunity and it's such a, um, a positive thing, I think, um, uh, the renewable industry in terms of um, looking towards our future. Just last week, the Financial Review was gasping at the possibility that the Greens want a 50% goal for renewable energy and Labor 45% and arguing this would absolutely destroy the economy. Um, they, they argue that we have to uh, ease ourselves off fossils, but they say we have the sensible way to do it would be to use market mechanisms to harness human ingenuity and self-interest to the task of reducing carbon emissions at least cost. So they still regard cost as important, and if it's too much, you can't do it. Um, you're 100% would have them gagging, I would have thought. Um, but can it be done without... Well, they claim it will destroy the economy, but will it? Um, I'm not too sure on the economics of it all, to be honest. Um, I just know that um, the cost to our future is far greater than any financial, you know, cost that it could be. Like, this is our future we're talking about. I don't think that money should be taken into consideration when it's our lives at stake. Mm. And so speaking of the government side of things, there is an election that hasn't been called yet, right, but will be called pretty soon. Get There's the a rumor. It's in the air, don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, so the march is on 
the the event is happening March 15, right? So I wonder if the election is going to be before or after, if you have any thoughts about how it might impact on policy leading up to the election. Yeah, well, um, obviously when the um, school strike happened last year, um, mm. Scott Morrison was not supportive of it, which Surprise. Um, was, you know, yeah. <laughs> which was disappointing. Mm. Um, but honestly, like, not not a surprise, I yeah. guess. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess just that they take this one more seriously and really, really take into consideration young people's opinions, especially when it comes to, um, yeah, like what they're promising in the election and stuff. And we're, yeah, we're making this the climate election where climate change is the number one issue um, that people um, are voting on because it is the most important thing. We have 11 years left to do something, according to the IPCC report. So... We can't wait around for the next government. We need this next government, this coming government, to really step down and step up and, um, yeah, do something about climate change. Yeah, it's definitely been an issue because we've seen that um, Karen Phelps winning in Wentworth was related to the fact that she had a stand on climate change that was progressive. Yeah, yeah definitely, and that's yeah. Um, happening a lot at the moment. Actually, there's a lot of independents mm. um, running in um, seats. Uh, and base, basing their their main their main stance is um, about climate change, which is, which is amazing. Mm. And seeing you move in those circles, obviously, uh, I imagine that young people, almost a hundred percent, would be deeply concerned because that's you know that's the world they're going to inherit. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's um it's it's terrifying that our government obviously doesn't care about our future and they're not doing anything about it. But we're fed up with them not doing anything so that's why that's why young people are taking to the streets and we're taking this into our own hands because we can't you know wait for the government to do something we have to do something about Mm. it scott morrison of course on monday announced his new policy by changing tony abbott's hand hand public money to the big polluters policy to the climate solutions fund which sounds good it's got climate in it um but um what's your view on the new policy he brought out yeah, um, look, this, the fund that he's announced is, is not a solution. Um, the, it's, yeah, it's basically just Tony Abbott's um, plan again, and that is just, has just not been... Um, yeah, it's not, a, it's not a proper solution. It's, uh, it's not what we need. We need 100% renewables. Um, that's the solution. We don't... Um, yeah, what mm. Scott Morrison has proposed, is, it's not enough. Yeah, because as, as if from what <laughs> what I understand from reading about it, that fund goes to a lot of projects that are um, sort of reforestation projects and strategies to kind of offset emissions. It doesn't actually look at taking any steps to reduce emissions, right? No, it doesn't. It's just about offsetting emissions. But mm. also, a lot of the projects that it that it funds, they would um, not they would go ahead anyway, even without this funding. But obviously, mm. the funding does help. So. It's not that to say that this stuff, um, you know, isn't helpful, but we need to be doing everything in our capacity and especially, especially investing in renewables. Mm. What about the Labor Party? Have, they, have their policy um, appealed to you at all? Well, 45% by 2030 is obviously um, better than what the Liberal government has at the, like, proposed at the moment, but it's not enough. Like, we need 100% renewable as soon as possible and... We can do that by 2030, and that's what needs to be done. Yeah. Have you caught up with the um, the decision in the New South Wales Land and Environment Court a couple of Fridays ago by Judge Brian Preston, the Chief Judge of the Court, 
uh, where he ruled against a Hunter Valley coal mine on the grounds that uh, of its impact on climate change and on the Australia's capacity to rehab Paris agreements and other social conditions, which was a major change and has the big polluters screaming and yelling. But um, have you caught up with that at all? Because it was a pretty major decision. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was an incredible win um, for the environment environment movement um, to have a judge um, rule out a coal mine on the basis that it um, will contribute to climate change. Um, and yeah, we need we need more of that. We need. We need no new fossil fuel projects to go ahead because, yeah, it's impacting enormously on climate change. Mm. And um, the school strike that's happening is is not just for school students, is it? Anyone can attend. How can people sort of get engaged with it and stay up to date with what's happening? Um, yep. So I believe um, there's a website. Um, if you yeah, if you just look up um, the school strike for climate. Um, and there's Facebook events, uh, and yeah, anyone can attend um, to support the school students, um, parents, um, university students, anyone, anyone's welcome. Um, and there's yeah, there, I think there's school strikes happening all over Australia, so I believe you can check on the website to see if there's one happening where you live. Mm. And what and what about other ways that people can get involved with Australian Youth Climate Coalition if they're interested? Um, yeah, so we um, we do rely a lot on um, volunteers, so um, people up to the ages of 30. Um, oh. So, yeah, if you are interested in volunteering, um, we always need more hands on board, um, especially coming up to the election. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can jump on our website or you can jump on Facebook um, and we've got lots of events coming up um, that you can get involved in to um, help win this, um, this our campaign um, to you know, mm. fight, fight for climate justice. So what are some of the events coming up? Um, well, we're doing a lot of the O-Week stalls at Unis um, over mm-hmm. the next few weeks, mm-hmm. uh, especially trying to enrol youth. Um, and there's a few plans in the works um, to uh, attend uh, politicians' events to show them um, uh, what we that we, we want climate change to be taken seriously in this upcoming election. So, yeah, there's a lot of plans on, on uh, at the moment. So, yeah, and we've got... Um, also, for new volunteers, if they want to come along, we've got um, a meeting on the 19th of March, um, which can be found on our website or on Facebook. Mm, as a kind of an induction and like information session? Yeah, yeah. So mm, like, cool. if you want to start getting involved. Nice. Mm, fantastic. Excellent. Okay, Ruby, look, thanks for your time this morning. And um, despite what the Herald Sun said, we, uh, we commend you on what you're doing as part <laughs> oh, of this whole thing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Okay, Thank thanks you. a lot. Bye, Ruby. Bye. Ruby thanks, Ruby Marshall there, who's um, the state coordinator or whatever with um, with um, Australian Youth Climate Coalition. And, uh, and next week, of course, it's transport on city limits. Um, and we're going to have this poem read out too. By um, you have to toss up between you who's going to do it and go away and uh, mm, yeah, we might out, we uh, might do some special content in the lead up to International yeah, Women's Day on our. Bit of a Clark who wrote it and. Um, it was um, it was published in the Saturday paper two or three weeks ago, but it's it's about it follows the latest um, murder of a young woman um, in the street that one out at um, where was it out at Latrobe was it near Latrobe Uni anyway that that that's, that murder but anyway yeah you can do it so you can toss up between that and do it next week um, also um, we, that point I raised about the land and environment court we I did try again to get the um, the uh, New South Wales Environment Defenders Office 
to come on today, but the two lawyers who are capable, who were up to it and talk about it, mm. both couldn't come on today. So we've sort of said, hopefully they'll come on in two weeks' time, which is our normal energy day anyway. Great. And talk to them because it was a it was a particularly important decision, mm-hmm. and in fact, what um, what the big end of town is now saying and very upset about is that that it it didn't it needn't necessarily just apply to a new coal mine any any development mm-hmm. that mm. would that could create CO two or or affect climate change mm-hmm. would come under the umbrella. So. Many of them are screaming and yelling that it has to be appealed and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So we'll see what happens. But it, it was a, and it's. I mean, they seem to be outraged to the fact that in a court, an environment court, had the audacity to take the environment into account huh. in making a decision. So it, it seems that it shouldn't. I mean, one one of the biggest coal um, blokes, in fact, came out and, and said that that it's not the law as he sees it. But of course, the law as he sees it is he can do what he likes. Okay, mm, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna wind up very shortly. Joe Toscano, who's going to come in very shortly, did ring and say that he knows three Walker Streets in Temple in Northcote and one in uh, yeah. Heidelberg. But yeah. I think it's the Northcote one. But it's um, a bigger state. It yeah, might sort of yeah. go over the boundaries of. But hopefully, Northcote if we didn't get it this week, we'll get more information on that next week and hope that the uh, the picket line or whatever's happening out there continues and because uh, it needs to be. Mm. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure, though, Joe, who's been, of course, taking a hell of an interest in this issue, will probably inform people in the next half hour anyway. Yes, he will. <laughs> so he absolutely will. Hour, yeah. <laughs> in the next right. hour, I think. <laughs> so yeah. we don't need to worry too much about that. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Thanks, team. All Let's right. Well done, everyone. See you all next week. See you week. You said we should look out further. I guess it wouldn't hurt us. We don't have to be around all these coffee shops Now we got that percolator Never made a latte greater I'm saving $23 a week We drive to a house in Preston We see police Park in, or a lot of room for storage.